0: Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. Believe it or not, we are as of next week we will complete this series through Ephesians, which I think is good for us to to pause at different points. Uh, we don't want to have any sort of man centered pride, but it is it's good to realize we have taken time this fall. We've been diligent gathering together and digging into God's word, and it's uh, it's a good thing to take encouragement from knowing we work through. Hopefully, know a bit more about this book of the Bible. Hopefully have begun to apply much of it to our lives as well. We'll look this morning at Ephesians 6, verses 5 uh, through 9. We have talked about the, fir- you know, the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about God's grace shown to us freely just because of what He has done, not because of anything we could do. And then the next three chapters of Ephesians is the, the implications or the outplaying of that for our lives. We've talked in most recent weeks about some very practical things, about how that plays out in our married lives, how that plays out in our our parenting and being children. Uh, And then this week, again, on the same vein, looking at this issue of work and how does the, the loving rule and reign and salvation of Christ affect who we are as workers, as those who work, and for many of us as those who supervise or give direction, who are bosses over others. So I invite you to stand with me, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. We'll I'll read out loud, and you read along with me, starting in verse 5. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, Knowing that whatever good one does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. And as you do, let's pray again. Oh, Father, we... uh, We just give you glad thanks today for your word. We thank you for the way that you have been teaching us and we pray that you would continue to do that work this morning. We need each week desperately to hear from you. We certainly need it this morning in this important matter of how we work, how we work unto you and Lord, how we give direction to those who may be under us in various capacities. So, Lord, help us. This morning, to walk in your path and to know what that looks like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 12 years ago, when Patience and I lived in St. Louis, I was the director of a college summer ministry program. And the way it worked is that we would find an organization, or try to, that was large enough to employ the 15 to 30 students that would participate in this project each summer. And the students, we would provide some living accommodations for them. That would provide their employment and some money over the summer. And then we would do ministry activities, discipleship, so forth, during the evening. As we tried to organize this each summer, we ran into a surprising snag, something that we didn't expect As we went to talk to different Christian businessmen and see if they would provide the employment for a lot of these students over the summer, there was a snag and it wasn't what you would expect. We thought maybe they were a little bit hesitant. We got some declines from different people because of the fact that they would have a a sort of outspoken, even though they were Christians, they'd have some outspoken Christian people working in their workforce, and that might cause some difficulty for them. But they said no. Here was the issue. They had hired Christian people before and found that they had been horrible employees. They had been some of the worst employees that they had encountered. And so we had to negotiate. We had to get them to see the benefit of doing this. It seems as we experienced there that some had taken this message of grace and free salvation in Christ, had taken this message of our high and exalted status that is all through the book of Ephesians anyway, and had deemed themselves unwilling to Submit to any sort of earthly boss, uh, certainly unwilling to follow through on tasks, and definitely unwilling to follow through on any kind of meaning, menial tasks. As we look at these verses today, we see, in fact, that uh, we wrestle with maybe some of that same mentality. Maybe for those reasons, maybe for other reasons of following through on what God has called us to as workers, whether it's in the home is our primary place to to work and to carry out our work or it's out in an office somewhere. Paul has some instructions here for us about how we can walk in a way that doesn't cheapen his grace, but that magnifies and demonstrates his grace in the way that we carry out our weekly tasks. So you can see if you want to on your bulletin, you can turn to the back page if you like to take notes the main idea I think from these verses and I'll I'll have to, you know, work our way into it, but you'll see it is that Christ is savior and lord in our workplace whatever that may be and so workers and bosses are called to work under him under his loving rule and reign that's our calling that these verses identify before we get uh, too far into that we need to look at one the The larger biblical context of work, because these verses talk a bit about work, but we want to look at the larger biblical context. And then also we need, as you probably saw right as we were reading these verses, this issue of slaves and masters. If we're going to start talking about workers and bosses, we need a little cultural background to try to make that connection for us. So let's talk about those two things. First of all, the larger biblical context for for a lot of us, we may feel like our our work, whatever it may be, is kind of what we do during the day, and our spiritual life is something separate. That's when we go to church, that's when we're doing our Bible reading, and maybe our, our thinking, especially if we're out in the, the workforce in an office and we get a paycheck, maybe our thinking is, as long as I do my work ethically, do it you know, basically above board, and as long as i give something from those resources to help ministries or the church or missions or whatever then that's then i have accomplished what it is that i need to do if we look at the bible the picture is much more comprehensive than that it goes all the way back to genesis chapters 1 through 3 actually contain Three really significant things for us in our work. And many of us spend, you know, countless hours out in the workplace in accounting work or as a doctor or in some office or managing folks. Uh, Many of, of us here are spending time at home, have a lot of time to work and to be diligent, raising kids and taking care of a family. There's there's work around us. So we need to hear what the Bible has to say. Genesis talks about a couple of things. One is. It shows us right off the bat in the Bible that God is a worker. God is a worker. And we may never have thought of that before, but actually the whole creation story, we're not going to discuss today whether these are uh, 24-hour periods of, of time these days or extended periods of time, but the whole creation story is laid out how? As a work week. And it tells us that God is carrying out this work of creating over six days, and then he rests on the seventh day. We see that picture of God as a worker. And so it's not surprising when we see in chapter 2 of Genesis, man is created. Chapter 2, verse 15 says they took Adam and he put him in the garden to work and to tend it. He created work. This is before the fall. Now, we, we, we know about fall and work, and we'll talk about that a little bit. This is before the fall. Work has got a good place in our lives because God is a worker. He's made man in His image, and so we live out some of who God is in working. It's similar. Again, last, I'll just point out some connections. Last week, we looked at some, of the, some verses from Second Corinthians, and we saw that God's a giver. His nature is to give. And so, therefore, we are called to be generous and be givers in a variety of ways. Here, too, we see God is a worker. So that's why we're called to work. We're living out, reflecting some of who he is in our work. And then, of course, we see in the third chapter of Genesis. So that's the first two chapters of Genesis. The third chapter, we see something's gone horribly wrong. Sin has come into the world. It affects us in a myriad of ways. But for our purposes today, we know one of the particular curses is that work Is not going to be a lot of fun. It's going to have some thorns and thistles. There's some fallenness now to our work. Okay, so that's the broad biblical background for us. So we zoom in closer to these verses. We see that they talk about some things culturally that we need to understand. Talks about slaves and masters. And you probably already figured out I'm. Desiring that we would map that on and think we should map that on to our role as workers in whatever capacity, wherever we report to somebody. And map that on to our responsibility, supervising other people, giving them direction. Well, how does that work? Well, it'll help us understand a little bit of the, the cultural perspective of slavery during the time that Paul is writing this. It might, it's, it's not going to probably deal with every question we have, but let's, let's get at some of it. First of all, um, slavery was incredibly prominent in the Roman Empire. Millions upon millions of people in the Roman Empire uh, were uh, slaves of various sorts. They, some of them came through wars and were captured, countries that were captured and people that were captured. Uh, some of them were treated certainly harshly, but a lot of them were treated well because they were something that was important. They provided productivity for the household that they were a part of. So it wasn't uh, always a brutal enterprise. Uh, a number of them, uh, this might surprise us, we think of it in terms of sort of menial tasks or or maybe issues of uh, agriculture that they might be involved with when we think about American slavery. Uh, many of the slaves in the Roman Empire were professionals, what we would call professionals. Teachers, administrators, even doctors sometimes were somebody that legally was still a slave so in a lot of ways especially by the time that Paul is writing this this practice is a bit more like indentured servitude remember the if you read your did your history back in high school and junior high there was that time in the early colonial days where they would bring folks over and they were just in a desperate condition there wasn't necessarily a racial element or anything to it that just needed work and they would eventually, over a period of seven years or so, be uh, set free to do whatever they would want to do. And there's a similar practice, essentially, that's going on in the Roman Empire. And lastly, we see in the book of Philemon, it doesn't, it doesn't seem in these Ephesians verses that Paul is trying to suggest any grand alteration to this, this whole plan at the time. But in the Philemon book of Philemon, we see that Paul is saying, hey, this, this maybe isn't the best arrangement. We need to look to change this if we can. Okay, so that's kind of the bad news, I guess, culturally. The interesting thing then in light of that is that Paul challenges the culture in a number of ways. First of all, by saying that slaves, servants, workers, whatever you want to call them, by speaking to them, by addressing them. He says there's an important you have an important function. I'm going to speak to you and tell you it's important to God how you do this. It's not just a sideshow. It's very important. In doing that, he's also indicating their their full participation in the body of believers. They were part of the church. So he's saying, "You, you have this status before God. And he recognizes the responsibilities of their supervisors to them. So in this way, we're seeing again, and we'll get to some specific application here in a minute. We're seeing again this principle that we've seen the last three weeks at least, that... Uh, God recognizes uh, an equality of status. Galatians 3:28 says, "There's uh, neither male nor free, male nor female, slave nor free, Greek nor Jew. We are all one in Christ." Says all of us have this high status because of what Christ has done. And yet the Bible is at the same time not afraid to differentiate between roles. There are bosses and there are workers. And that's part of how life works. That's part of what we're called to in life. So how does this relate to us? How does it play over to us? Again, I would say that these, these verses offer some good counsel for us as workers. The counsel it gives to slaves, servants, is good counsel for all of us in as much as we report to somebody above us. And it gives good counsel for those who are supervising others as well. All of us as workers, let's talk about ourselves as workers at first. All of us are flawed. None of us, however much we've done in the workplace, however many promotions we've achieved, uh, all of us are flawed. All of us wrestle with laziness. All of us uh, probably wrestle with the right attitude towards our boss and other people around us in the workplace. Uh, All of us fall short in this area. It's interesting, I saw that a... Uh, A 1983 uh, study was done. So this is a number of years ago, but I'm sure we could map it over to today. A study was done. It was published in the Wall Street Journal and carried out by Princeton. And they did an evaluation of workers and some of the practices that they engaged in at work. A variety of things they were evaluating that would be uh, unethical, taking a little bit extra here, doing this over here. There would certainly be unethical practices. And, of course, they were intrigued by the fact that this was much more common than they might have anticipated. So they published those findings. But perhaps the most interesting thing for our purposes today is that the people who named the name of Christ, who were in that study and survey, were just as likely to engage in those same practices as folks who did not, who claimed no religious allegiance So we need help. We need help as as workers. We also need help as those who oversee people around us. For some of that, the extent of our oversight might be a a cleaning lady that helps take care of the house or uh, somebody that's doing a particular task, yard work for us. For a a lot of us in our work environment, we have specific people that report to us, and they're supposed to do things, and we're supposed to give them direction. We supervise them and we recognize as we look at these verses and if we're going to really deal before the lord that we don't always and and often fail to treat those that we are given direction to that we are over in the workplace with the same conduct that we would want to be treated with if we were in their situation we're caught in this tension, aren't we? We, you know, we gripe about our boss and we don't like the way we're treated as workers. And we also often tend to do maybe the same things or something different to those who we're giving direction to. Last thing, and then we'll we'll look specifically at, at some some application these verses give us. The last thing that's really important to see about this is we saw this in the past couple of weeks. weeks. Um, the spiritual things of life are maybe not what we think they are. Certainly, it's good to be here on Sunday morning for church, for Sunday school. Certainly good to pick up our Bible and spend time during the week reading it, to to spend time praying, to go on a mission trip and so forth. All of those things that maybe we would think about doing, seek to share our faith with those around us. Very interesting that Paul takes a good bit of this book of Ephesians to talk to us about some things that we maybe wouldn't think of as that spiritual. How we handle ourselves in our marriage, spiritual matter. How we handle ourselves as parents and as children, spiritual matter. How we handle ourselves as workers, as those who supervise, very spiritual matter. So Paul is taking these two things that through our culture and through our own thinking, we have divided far apart, and he is bringing those together. So you feel some tension, that's probably right. You're probably starting to feel some things that most of us have put far apart coming together today. Let's look at these verses and what it says about workers or slaves, servants. If you look at all of these verses, uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, all of them refer to the fact that these workers are not ultimately working for just themselves or for their boss. They're actually working for Christ. Verse 5 will be sufficient. says, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart, as you would Christ." Look at verse 6, 2, not by way of our service, but as servants of Christ. What is it saying? That, in fact, in our workplace, we're not just working for a paycheck. We're not just working because somebody's told us that that's what we need to do. We're working unto the Lord, that that authority comes down through him. And he recognizes and sees what we're doing. John Stott says this. He says, our great need is the clear sightedness to see Jesus Christ. And set him before us in the workplace. He says, It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, or to clean house as if Jesus Christ were the honored guest. It's possible for teachers to educate children, doctors to treat patients, uh, salespeople to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, secretaries to type letters as if in each case. They were serving Christ, looking to Christ as the one who ultimately we serve. Do you believe that? About the work that you're called to? The work that God's given to you? That's a tough thing. It's a very difficult thing. Paul talks about this in these. Versus verse 5, he says that we're supposed to do it with fear and trembling, which sounds like a sort of cringing sort of servility. That's a pretty strong terminology. I think what he's just trying to tell us is do it in a way that you recognize it's important. It's not a trifle. It's not a light thing. It's heavy. It's important. Verse 6 says we're not supposed to just do it to, to kind of look good, to, Make it, you know, make somebody think we're doing what we need to. We're supposed to actually do what we're called to do. Now, we all know that's not always easy. Some complicated situations. I've talked to some of you in various areas of the business world, and you're right in the middle of projects that you've been given that the absurdity of the task is beyond you, but you've got to figure out how to get it done some way, and that's, those are tricky and complicated situations. And then, as I said, verse 7 reminds us that we do this as servants of the Lord, serving him from the heart. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to work in this way and have this attitude towards work. All of us struggle with it, regardless of our profession. A mother was uh, going into the bedroom one Sunday morning to wake up her son, and she told him, it's time to get up, son, it's time to get ready to go to church, and he threw the covers back over his head and said, I don't want to go. She said, well, it's Sunday. You need to get up and and go to church. He said, I don't want to go. And here's two reasons why. I don't like them and they don't like me. She said, well, you need to get up and go, son. And here's two reasons. One, you're 40 years old. And two, you're the pastor. All of us have points where we just don't like what we're called to do. And Paul is telling us here that at least one way we begin to address that. Certainly we see what Christ has done for us, that he's laid down our lives for us, that we're called to reflect him in this world. And so our life's not our own anymore. And that should provide encouragement for us to start to live in a different way. But we we also just do it recognizing that this is an opportunity. (laughs) This is an opportunity for me to glorify Christ, to really serve Christ, even if it doesn't seem like it's something I want to do. When we start to do this and I actually live this out. It's interesting, again, reading the, you know, the Gospels and the, the epistles that Paul has wrote, written as well. It's always interesting because he anticipates the responses that we have. We know we're kind of on track because one of the things you're going to say, and I would say too, is, yeah, but what if I do this and it doesn't get me the promotion? It doesn't get me the praise. And a lot of times maybe doing these things in these verses means that people around me who are lazy, people around me who are unethical, they're actually going to move on by me. What, how do I deal with that? Real interesting. Paul knows what we're wrestling with. He says in verse 8, he says, Knowing that whatever good one does... This will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. God sees. God knows. He doesn't miss it. He doesn't miss it at all, even if everybody else in the workplace misses it. I like this. I found in a uh, book that uh, some of y'all have actually gone through me with. This is, a, this is pretty dense. It's got a lot in it, but it's got a lot of good information, too. But it's called Your Work Matters to God. And um, he, in this book, he references another author that refers to this issue of, you know, what do we do when we try to do maybe what's right or try to work hard and it doesn't bring the results that we want. He describes back in the, uh, in the late 60s, there was an incident at the research laboratory at the University of California, Berkeley. A young man who was doing research, working very diligently in a lab, literally went crazy came out of the lab one day and began shouting to people who were around him, Stop! Stop! You are getting ahead of me! Stop! He was feeling the pressure of working hard and people getting ahead of him. And listen to what this author says. I just find this fascinating. He says, Simply stated, people are getting ahead of you all the time. While you're at your desk, people at the gym are getting ahead of you. While you're at the gym, people at the office are getting ahead of you. If a friend gets a promotion at work, she's gotten ahead of you. If a colleague reads a book you haven't read, he's gotten ahead of you. The entire U.S. swim team has gotten ahead of you. (laughs) While reading this book, everyone is getting ahead of you. He says, uh, he's saying sarcastically, he's speaking sarcastically, he says, the beauty of this concept, or we would say the detriment of this concept is that it can be applied across the board. On the road, drivers of more expensive cars have gotten ahead of you. Watching TV, all the writers and actors and TV crews have gotten ahead of you. At Marine World, the dolphins have gotten ahead of you. <laughs> he says, if you want to, basically, if you want to go crazy, he says, always judge yourself and your intrinsic moral worth in terms of specific achievements as compared to others, always judge any situation in relation to how much the people involved have gotten ahead of you and in what ways. You serve Christ, he knows what you're doing. He recognizes, he's an impartial judge, he sees everything, he knows everything. So it's actually a beautiful thing. To go to work and say, ultimately, I, you know, I got a boss, I have somebody I report to, you, but I ultimately serve Christ. Last thing these verses talk about for us is they do speak to bosses. And again, I know not, not everybody in here has a specific sort of management function, but a lot of us do. And these verses address it, so I want to speak to that for a second. Verse 9, it's interesting, says, masters... Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is in heaven is both their master and yours and that there is no partiality with them. Same concept here. Workers under Christ recognize Christ is over you. Bosses, don't forget. Don't forget Christ is over you as well. And then he lays it out in three different specific ways that I think probably address some of the main errors we have when we're giving direction to other people. He says, first off, simply do the same to them. Do the same to them. All he's saying here is the golden rule, you know. And if we want to see our sin and our brokenness, look at how quickly, once we get a position, we have so much difficulty treating the others around us as we would be treated. So do the same to them. And then the second thing he says is he says, stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. He didn't, you know, uh, he didn't have to have good to great written or all the management books that are out there and popular way before our time and before all those books. Paul reminds us, hey, if... uh, like threatening people and yelling at them and telling them you're, you're going to cancel their promotion or cancel their paycheck. If that's your primary way of leading and motivating people that are under you, probably, probably not the best thing. Probably not too glorifying to the Lord. The contrast to that is, of course, let's figure, figure out ways that we can, because of God's grace working in our lives, encourage people around us, lead them well, uh, serve them in some capacity, and then lastly, he says, referring to the Lord, there's no partiality with him. You might have somebody that works with you. You really like hanging out. You like talking to them about football you like talking to them about this or that. And, they, you know, you enjoy being around them. And so it's easy to kind of give them credit. And there's another person you, you just don't really love. And, but there's actually no tangible difference in what the two are doing work-wise. And Paul's just reminding us there, um, our job, part of our job as supervisors is to reflect God and God is a just God. So he doesn't show that kind of impartiality. He doesn't do that. So we look at these challenges and think about ourselves as workers, many of us as bosses. I think one of the most beautiful things is to think about Christ as a worker. Christ as a worker because what we're saying here is this is just a, another area is challenging where we fall short of what God would have for us. None of us does these things the way that we should. And so it's a beautiful thing to see as we look through the Gospels that Jesus says time and time again that he's faithful to do the work that he's assigned to do. His work's not the same work as ours. His work is to save the world but he's faithful to do it he works so hard at times uh healing people and i of course we don't know what that was like for him but he was fully man he works so hard at times that he's of course asleep in a boat while everybody else is panicking that's how tired he is and he's trying to get away and when he's going to the cross he's on his knees and he is straining so hard in prayer working so hard in prayer on our behalf that you know sweat comes out as blood from his forehead jesus is a a worker he's faithful to carry it through. And so we can readily admit, Lord, I'm so thankful that you do all things well, that you have worked out your plan perfectly for me. And I can openly confess to you the areas where I fall short in my work. And and we can pray to the same Savior and say, would you give me strength? Would you transform my attitude in the workplace that I might be a better worker, that I might be a better boss and reflect your glory in that way? Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, we do praise you for the callings that you've given uh, to us. And we thank you for the ability that you've given many of us, the strength, the gifts to do work and work that benefits those around us. We thank you for the reminder from your word that when we do that, just simply working as you call us to, that we we reflect you, that we're showing you to the world. And I, I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged by that. Uh, For many of us who have kind of divorced these two things, work and, and our spiritual life, oh, Lord, would you bring those things together for us that we might see how they are connected. And, Father, we do pray that you would allow us to treat those around us as you'd have us to and to be diligent in the things that you've called us to, recognizing that we are all under you, under your loving rule and reign. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.